Hey, everybody. Chase here. Uh, just letting you know, uh, today's episode is a bonus episode. Um, I was on a webinar last week and I walked through the brand scaling framework that we use over at our agency, Electric Eye. I thought it was a pretty fun conversation. So I am going to start putting these as bonus episodes uh, on the podcast here. And I hope that everybody enjoys it. Stay tuned. Uh, I'll talk about how uh, you know million dollar brands become $10 million brands. Uh, so... I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Um, as anybody who's already here, you know we've, we've just been riffing. So obviously, this is going to be a fantastic, fantastic session today. Um, just quick, quick intros. But as the title of the session suggests, today we're going to be talking about everything about scaling an e-commerce business, um, specifically how brands can 10x their sales um, by setting solid technological baselines, focusing on data, core KPIs, and scaling strategies. Um, in a second, I'm going to introduce our guest, which couldn't be more excited about. Um, but quick intro with me. I'm Andrew Jones. I run the marketing function here at Route. Um, and I imagine everybody who's here today, or hopefully most people, know what Route is. But if not, you know, Route is the premier post-purchase experience platform for online sellers. We focus on customer engagement, package tracking, shipping insurance, everything like that. And we've had a really, really interesting last few weeks. A lot of fun product product enhancements. We've launched some new products, a completely revamped package tracking experience. And you know, best part of it, it's free forever. So um, if you haven't, head over to route.com, obviously after this. And if you haven't had the chance to use route and you want to, um, for anybody who's here today, we're giving away a hundred bucks to anybody that gives it a try. And it's go.route.com slash demo if you're interested again after the session, of course. So Let's get into the good stuff. Today we have Chase Clymer. So Chase, you know, for anybody, again, I think I think a lot of people know who you are, but Chase is the co-founder of Electric Eye, where he and the team they create Shopify-powered sales machines, specializing in strategic design, development, end-to-end -end marketing solutions. They have an incredible track record. They work with less than a dozen brands at any given time, and some of their notable clients are brands like Westside Barbell, Derm Spa, Black Keys, Camp High. I could go on forever. To date, Chase and team, they've driven tens of millions of dollars in attributed sales for their clients. And if anybody was here in the beginning, we were talking about podcasts. So if running that agency wasn't enough, Chase is also the host of Honest E-Commerce, um, weekly podcast where they provide online stores with honest, actionable advice. So if you haven't already, go listen. In my opinion, it's one of the really good resources for e-commerce brands today. And rounding everything out, basically, Chase knows his shit. And I'm stoked that we can be here today to, to talk about scaling businesses. Chase, what did I miss? Um, I think the only thing you didn't touch on is that I'm a bad golfer. You're a bad golfer? Okay. Do you like Trying golf? to get better. That's, that's been what trying I've been working on this season. Okay. Well, there you go. There's, there's a fun fact for everybody. Chase is trying to get better at golf. Well, Rao, at Route, we're huge fans of golf. So, you know, noted. And we'll talk about that after. But yeah, let's 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 get right into it. So the title of the session is very self-explanatory, going from one to 10 million. How do brands do that? So kind of setting the stage here, Chase, how do e-commerce brands scale from one million to 10 million? Yeah, let's just give them the answer right now so they can they can go and then they they'll schedule a route demo, right? That's what that's what we want them to do. Uh, it, it really comes down, it comes down to data, everybody. It all comes down to the numbers, and there are specifically kind of three numbers that really drive this. You can kind of also just relate every other KPI back to these three numbers, and we'll kind of dive in a bit more in a bit about what those KPIs are and why uh, why they matter and what's the magic behind this math formula we're going to talk about. But I believe that we are going to. You know, we weren't just going to talk about, you know, how one million dollar brands go to ten million dollar brands. You know, there's there's also you know like how do you get to your first million? We're going to touch on that too for a little bit as well. Uh, don't want to leave the people out that are uh, the dreamers that are they're looking to get started. Yeah, so let's let's note that for later data, and I'm really excited to get into the kind of your framework, how you guys have have really dialed in the scaling formula. Quick question again with kind of like setting the stage, you know, scaling is completely relative. E-commerce spans every single market industry. So product, market, teams, timing, it all plays a part in scaling. But at the end of the day, knowing when to scale 
is kind of the thing. When are people ready to actually do it? When are brands ready to actually do it? Timing is crucial. So even if a brand is doing a million, what are some of those key indicators that you have seen that demonstrate that a brand is actually ready to start scaling, to start building up those operations? Yeah, this is a great question. So I'll try to give some really just straightforward specifics. So the first is, imagine that you just go viral and you're selling twice as many products tomorrow. Does your supply chain support that? Mm -hmm. And most brands are going to say no, and that's fine. But that's something that you're going to... That's one of the main crucial things that you're going to have to kind of figure out before you kind of go down this journey. Um, Another thing is not just product, but processes. If Can you fulfill twice as many orders? Can you fulfill more than twice as many customer support inquiries? Like, Do you have the people in place to support that? Is your infrastructure strong? Is your team large enough to kind of support this new growth? So there's a lot of stuff that happens on like the fulfillment and the products side that need to be in place and stress tested before you start really turning up the gas with marketing. Mm-hmm. When you say there's things that need to be stress tested, you know, obviously we're in an interesting inflection point in e-commerce with COVID happening and e-commerce is blowing up in general. What have you seen as been like the main issues people have run into? Is it supply chain? Is it people? Is it inventory? Is it you know, it, it could be anything, but as we're in this kind of inflection point, a lot of brands are seeing like they're selling more just by nature of kind of the world we're in right now. Has there been one or two like main issues that you have seen brands come up against? And it may be the, the things you've mentioned. Yeah. So there's goes back to this the same core issue of just like an overarching strategy. So I'll probably burst a bubble of some young entrepreneurs here. A million dollar a year e-commerce business isn't that big. It's like one to three people. Like it's not a huge operation. It's, you know, it's very scrappy. And, you know, they're usually self-funded and it's, you know, people are wearing half a dozen hats at a time. Mm -hmm. And what is a commonality that people are struggling with, you know, COVID didn't make it any easier. Uh, All the stuff with iOS 14, 15 privacy, that's not making it any easier. The fact that it almost is twice as expensive to advertise on Facebook today as it was two years ago, doesn't make it any easier. Is the fact that these people are building businesses that they're, they're really passionate about solving, you know, their product that they're putting out to market is solving a problem and they're passionate about solving that problem for their customers. They might not be a data analyst or an email marketing expert or you know they understand how to develop Shopify themes with Liquid and Ruby, which I don't even know how to do that. That's why we have Mike. Like there's there's all these layers of expertise that come with the technical side of e-commerce that often these teams don't have. And then there's a lot of noise out there of, you know, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. TikTok is the new new best thing. Like there's all this stuff and it's like what should you do? You know what I mean? Like obviously when you hit a million dollars a year, you have product market fit. Like no one's just giving away that type of money. They're not investing, you know, that that's that's a real deal business, but they don't have the strategy in place to really be like, okay, like we have to focus where are we leaking money? How do we improve those areas of the business? And then, you know, turn up the gas is what I like to say, but it's, you know, it's basically invest in marketing and send more eyes to this thing that works. You know, I know we're going to get more into that a little bit later on kind of the data piece. And it, it kind of comes back to like visibility. Like, can you really see what's happening? Because so much in e-commerce is, is, is at least that I'm seeing, and I, I wonder if you agree with that, is is you kind of touch on is the trends, you know, is everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that. I need to be doing this, my brand should do this. You're so much coming in saying these are the right ways to do it. Which at the end of the day, we've already touched on scaling is completely relative. It's personal. It's mm-hmm. it's different for everybody. And and so kind of jumping off of, of where we're at right now and kind of taking a step back to what you said, where it's a million bucks a month, a, a million bucks a year. Like that's totally that's amazing. And it means you have product market fit, you're established, you're you're ready to go. But there's so much more upside. So taking a step back, even before that, like product market fit. Um, what, you know, before that product market sale, when we're thinking about like a solid, solid baseline and touching again on what I was saying with trends and products and solutions and technology, there's so many things that an online retailer can use today. 
thinking about a solid, solid backend technological operational baseline for you and what you've seen and the experience you have, what are some of those key pieces? And this can be technology, it can be operations, but for you, if you were to go down a checklist of like, what is a solid e-commerce tech stack and operational flow? Yeah, I'll definitely answer the tech stack question in a second. I want to answer more of a, you know, starting a business one-on-one type perfect discussion. So a lot of people they get caught up in these like I have to buy a domain and I have to register my LLC and all this none of that matters. If you have an idea that you think is going to solve a problem, go and try to sell it. And this is across the board. This is e-commerce, SaaS, a service, it doesn't matter. Go and try to sell that. Talk to real customers and get people to buy into the that there is value behind what you're trying to sell. This is called, you know, consumer testing. Like go and try and go get information from your potential customers about this idea and sell it literally. The hardest thing is selling what you're trying to build. Like a logo can come later, a website can come later, all this stuff. Cause you need to know that your idea is valid. You need to validate your idea. So that's the first thing you do. If you haven't done anything yet and you're thinking about starting a business, whatever it is that your product will solve for, go and try to sell it to people, get feedback on it and iterate upon it until it's the best that it can be. And then all of those other things, you can slowly knock them out because those aren't things that truly matter. At the end of the day, what truly matters is that your product is solving a problem for a customer and they will literally give you money, not your mom, your brother, your uncle, like strangers on the internet will give you money for this product because it solves a problem. They see the value in this product and it solves a problem for you. So like do that first. Dude, and I love so that. once you've, once you've validated your idea, you know, I can give you some direction on the nerdy stuff. Yeah. So well, I, I love this and I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because I, I want to go a little bit deeper. I think this is so often missed. It's crazy. And even myself, when I'm thinking like, I, you know, I'm in e-commerce routes, amazing, but I, I want to start a brand myself. You know, I, I get excited about it and I myself can get caught up in the like naming logo website, tech stack, stuff like that. So I, I love this point of kind of like business one-on-one validating a product and a need for you. How have you, have you seen brands do that in a creative way? Oh yeah. So this would, this is a great thing. Go listen to my podcast. I interview, like I basically only interview founders these days with an occasional subject matter expert or my partner, but you'll hear time and time again, how these founders validated their idea. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, they were using like Reddit forums, Facebook groups, they were going to farmers markets and they were just getting real feedback from their demographic and using that to inform the decisions they made on not only their product, but how they were positioning the product and the features and the benefits of that product. And like also like what the offer looks like and the valuation behind how they should sell it. Uh, There's a lot of really cool stuff there. I mean, what you do at the beginning of the business is you focus on talking to people that A, actually gave you money Mm -hmm. for your product. And then B, the people that didn't and find out why. And you you keep doing that as a founder. That's your that's you need to start solving these product market fit problems, and that's how you do it. And it's not scalable, and you have to do the things that don't scale at the beginning because that's the only way to solve those problems. I love that. I was reading yesterday, kind of ironically at this point, about the Airbnb story, and I think it has some definite crossover to what you're saying, where they're early. I think I don't know if they coined this or if that was just kind of the the title of the article, but it was like do things that don't scale early to test. So the founders, you know, before they ever had like their Airbnb platform, before they had you know a, a logo or a real brand or any of kind of the tech, technological pieces that would turn into Airbnb, you know, they set up a few of these these rental places and they went and stayed there themselves. So like, does this feel good? Does this feel right? Would I pay for this? And they tested with a couple other people. And obviously that does not scale. They can't do that forever. They can't go stay at all their places. And you know, it's not a process that works long-term, but that was how they started validating. Is this idea something that people will pay for? AKA, will I pay for this? Do I like this experience? So I, I think that's fascinating and something that so many founders overlook. So I think that's some really, really solid insight right off the bat. Should we, should we talk about some of the nerdy stuff now? So yeah, validate your idea and do the things that don't scale, find out if people will pay for it. 
And if they won't, why not? And just really feel good about your product. I love that. So some of the nerdy things is you validated that product. What are some of the things on kind of the technological solid backend baseline that brands need to have in place to even set themselves up for that initial success that then will lead to, yeah, the one to 10, the 10 to hundred million type scaling. See, I'm going to double down on what I said earlier, but then answer the question. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it two ways. The first one is none of it matters. <laughs> like it, you can change it down the line. You're going to make mistakes in, in choosing stuff. And honestly, with all business, making a decision is more important than making the right decision. And any entrepreneur will tell you that uh, that's actually kind of done this a little bit. So don't be caught up on WordPress versus Magento versus Shopify, blah, blah, blah. None of that really truly matters. Like just use something. And then again, just go back to selling. You're going to have more problems with marketing than you're going to have with anything in your tech stack, believe me. Yeah. Uh, but if you want my opinion as a Shopify uh, fanboy and consultant and investor, <laughs> Shopify is awesome. Yeah. Uh, just choose right the first time and just build your e-commerce business on Shopify. Yeah. Um, also, a Clavio Gold partner. At the, we love Clavio. Like, definitely get Clavio set up from day one. Um, as far as kind of like uh, some of the technical aspects of it, like build out your Facebook Pixel and get that installed the right way. Obviously, there's some weird stuff going on with what data you can and can't have. But if you're building something from scratch, get your Facebook Pixel in there from day one. At least it's tracking whatever data it can track, and down the line you can use that however you can use that. Uh, make sure you get Google Analytics put in there. And like in the back end of Google Analytics, make sure you turn on enhanced e-commerce because uh, it's not on by default. You want to have that turned on. So it's tracking the e-commerce specific stuff on your Shopify website. Honestly, at the beginning, you don't need robust reporting. Uh, you can get away with what Shopify offers out of the box. Uh, for support, you're going to be your support person for the first, first while. Like you couldn't... like. You can really run a pretty lean ship when it comes to like what your e-commerce experience is at the beginning. Like you got a Shopify store, you have a decent theme, you got email automations in place, and you're answering your support emails. You're going to be better than 99% of the brands out there that are trying to start. Um, what you should be focusing on after you get those pieces in place goes back to like how am I going to get people to buy this thing? That's because like having a pop-up app or having a bundle builder. Or having you know a free shipping bar, none of that is going to fundamentally change your business and solve the problem of where are these customers and how do I sell more product. <laughs> that's not that's not going to do it. The app is never going to fix your business. It's going to be the strategy. So it's like, how do I go out and find these customers? What's your marketing strategy? That's what you should definitely focus on after you knock out these honestly easy things. You should be able to get all that stuff done within a month. I love that, and I, and I think that should be good news for a lot of people, right? Even even ones who are even brands who are doing millions a year, that should be very good news. Of like, there is not some silver bullet product. There is not, you know, there's a lot of amazing products. There's a lot of amazing platforms, a lot of amazing features, and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like you can move, you can shift, you can pivot, you can change as your business grows. Can you sell your product? Yeah. And if you can, like that's nothing else matters. So I, I love that insight and something that you just touched on that I think kind of brings us to probably the core of what we're talking about is strategy. You know, what is your scaling strategy? We'll, we'll kind of move past like, all right, you have product fit, you're making money, doing a million, million plus scaling strategy. And just like we've already touched on a few times, but I'll just say it again, it's completely individual. You know, your strategy for scaling a apparel brand is different than a strategy for scaling a home goods brand. So how can brands, when they know they're ready to scale, they have, you know, what, what they feel like is a good technological backbone, have a good operational process, feel like they're ready to go. How should brands go about developing a strategy that's really catered to their specific business? And then the follow-up question is, are there any blanket strategies that every brand should follow or is it always unique? Those are, those are both fantastic questions. So I'll, I'll answer the second one first. Like, is there a blanket strategy? Perhaps what I'm about to talk about, like literally. <laughs> uh, so as what we've done at the agency for the past 5 years is a variation of this concept of like, your website is garbage, let's fix that. And then now let's do more marketing. Mm -hmm. But it's evolved into something a little more poetic now that we call the brand scaling framework. right? So a framework is just like an underlying system or concept. So we used framework instead of like process or strategy because like 
the minutia of this changes because of your customers, your product, like your industry, like all that stuff changes, like some of the outputs at the bottom, but this overarching framework of like, here's the math behind how you scale is always the same. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been doing this for a couple of years at the agency. So basically in our opinion, which has helped people make tens of millions of dollars, there are three KPIs that truly matter. So those KPIs, and these can be found in the back end of your Shopify store, uh, are your conversion rate, your average order value, and your sessions. And I use sessions because that's the one that Shopify has in their back end. And all of these are right there when you click analytics. Um, and I like to look at this at like a 30-day snapshot, right? So if you take all three of those numbers and you multiply them together, it gives you basically your monthly sales because that's how math works. It's like this formula is extremely easy. So if out of 60,000 sessions, 2% of those convert at $75, you're going to get roughly $90,000 a month, right? So now this is when it gets more specific to you and your brand. Mm -hmm. So let's abstractly say that this is um, a scrappy startup and they've been selling their widgets for the last couple of years. And they've just used like an off the shelf theme to get them this far. And what they know, they've, you know, they've installed and uninstalled a half a dozen apps over the course of that time. Here's a bonus fact for everybody. When you install an app on Shopify, it injects code and oftentimes like a JavaScript call into your code, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you press uninstall, all that does is it stops the app from being able to access your store. It does not uninstall that code. Mm -hmm. So if you rinse and repeat this over 2 or 3 years, you have now basically turned your code base into spaghetti and it's got a whole bunch of extra stuff in there that's slowing it down. So we go back to our, our scrappy store that's selling these widgets, their theme file is very slow. Uh, their mobile experience isn't optimized. You can even drill in in the back end of Shopify and compare desktop versus mobile. And you know they're converting at 5% on desktop, but just 1% on mobile. That's where all their traffic is, right? There are some glaring opportunity here. So we can make an educated guess like, you know what? If we have a new theme built that's tailor-made for our customers and the journey that they want, and it's lightning fast and it gets rid of all this bloat and it's only the apps we want you know what happens if we go from 2% conversion rate a month now to 3% because we have this thing built the right way right mm -hmm. so the traffic doesn't change but their conversion rate goes from 2% to 3% now their monthly sales shoot from $90,000 a month to $135,000 a month they're not paying any more for ads nothing else has changed they just have a better website it's been optimized for conversion it's fast right and then you run through all the rest of the numbers, right? So something that's like easily overlooked by most brands is the opportunity at hand with your average order value, which is like an insane multiplier, especially if you are heavily investing in paid ads. Like your average order value is super crucial. So let's say mm -hmm. that uh, your business, you know, you actually are doing all right, and you've got an average order value of around say seventy five dollars, right? But you have an offer that really crushes it in store, but you can't seem to like make it work online because like you can't find a bundle builder that will do it. It's probably a good idea to invest in a development team to build a solution that gives that exact offer exactly what you want. Right. So like if you can move an average order value from $75 to $101 and maybe you don't even fix the website, you just focus on that, that's gonna change your monthly sales from $90,000 to $121,000 a month. All right. I'm throwing out a lot of numbers here. Am I confusing you yet? Because I'm sure I'm sure I am. No, no, I think I think this is fantastic. The last one is sessions, mm -hmm. um, which is usually where most brands want to go first because they're like, I heard Facebook ads are the way and the truth, or TikTok it seems where it needs to be, or like we think our brand's gonna do really good on X, Y, or Z. Like, we're gonna dump a bunch of money, all of our budget into paid ads. You can do that. And there's nothing stopping you from doing that. But if you focus all your money there... So say you focus all of your budget into doubling your traffic. Now, here's also a sidebar here. Uh, you can basically see decent returns of taking your organic traffic and doubling it with paid media. Like You'll see some decent returns, which is anything after that when, you're, when your market... Like your paid versus like organic traffic skews more heavily paid. It's like diminishing returns because mm -hmm. uh, you're getting less and less qualified traffic. So... Doubling your traffic is realistic. It's, it's also expensive. You got to think about what that's going to cost you. Uh, but say you go from 60,000 sessions a month to 120,000 sessions a month, right? At 2% conversion rate, $75 AOV, you're just doubling your sales. You're going from 90 to 180, right? Yeah, that's 100% improvement. But what if you 
did the work that we talked about in the first place, right? You fixed the website and you did an awesome bundle builder or an upsell or a cross sell. Like all those things can change. It really depends on your product. And you did all that work up front. Now you're going from $90,000 a month to $365,000 a month. You've taken a $1 million business to $4.3 million a year hmm. by putting in the work that way. So that is the outline of how brands scale it. You got to think about it from a math perspective and put the effort in the right places. Obviously, it gets a little more challenging and detailed as more you go down these specific KPIs. But a $1 million brand going to $10 million a year, like they're going to be focused on their conversion rate, their offer, and how to cheaply get qualified traffic and increase the amount of sessions that come to their store. This is fantastic. I think this is so great because it's, it's so simple, right? There's a million KPIs. There's a million metrics that an that a online store can look at. It can be so easy to get distracted. But at the end of the day, it's like you're just saying there's three levers, conversion rate, average order value sessions. So as you were talking, I was like, I have 50 questions, but I'll try to simplify. So how many stores do you feel like if you're just like spitballing, you have a ton of experience in this space. How many stores do you feel like if you could actually look at the back end and look at the store are facing those kind of bloated spaghetti style systems that really slow it down. I mean, I I don't even have to look, I can tell you like walk through this. (laughs) If you're a founder and you are like, yeah, we've tested 20 or 30 apps in the last four months to help us with our free shipping bar or like, Oh yeah, our theme hasn't changed since we've launched guarantee it's got some issues with the code base and you know there's all right so do i actually need a new website like that's a question that you didn't ask but i'm going to answer it and it's like there's a there's basically like uh there's an inflection point where it is more work to try and get rid of this bloat in a theme versus just let's just build a new one that's tailor made to your brand that's extremely performing off the rip because you know, trying to get rid of this bloat is like pulling the thread on a sweater. Like it could just unravel and just become a whole nightmare. And then you've invested more time, energy, and money in fixing something when you could have just got something better, faster, and for a you know a, a better investment. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's listening right now, is there anything outside of just what you said, kind of that anecdotal? Like, have I tested twenty different apps in the last you know few months? Outside of anything anecdotal, for anybody who's listening right now. What should they go look for on their website? Is there like a load time? Is there a speed time? Is there something that they should just say, all right, go look at it after this? And does it meet this criteria? Does it hit this benchmark? Is this there? Is there anything like really specific that somebody can go look at their store and say, oh, yeah, mine needs an uplift, it needs a facelift, or I just need something completely new? Well, here are two things that you can do. Um, one is just in Google Chrome. You can you know go to developer tools and you can click on there's a report bar and you can run uh, the lighthouse report and you can click everything off except performance. Just run that. See what it says. Do it in incognito mode so none of your none of your like cool Google Chrome install like extensions mess things up. But mm-hmm. just see what that number is. Um, take it for a grain like with a grain of salt because you can also go do this test on like your competitors' websites and you know go look at you know the Kardashians lipstick website like. There are interesting things all over the place about how these stores perform. Um, but the truth of the matter is, the slower your website is, the lower your conversion rate is going to be. The faster your website is, the higher your conversion rate is going to be. There's data to back that up all over the internet. Yep. So investing in a faster website that gets me as a consumer to the product that I want faster is always a good investment. So kind of just take a look at what your performance is doing now. and. Uh, you know, understand like how much have we actually paid attention to what's going on with our code base and how many how many apps we have installed and like how often we were testing it. So that's that's one thing. Another thing you can do, uh, and I do this all the time, is I go into the back end of the Shopify store, I click on the dashboards, and I go to online store sessions by uh, by device. And so when I'm in here and I'm looking at it by device, uh, you'll see mobile, desktop, and traffic. And if you click on edit columns, you can do conversion rate. And then you can see the difference between conversion rate of mobile versus desktop. And if it's like extremely different, and by that I mean like over one or two percent, it's like probably got a mobile conversion rate issue because your website's probably not optimized for mobile. So mm-hmm. that's something you should you know, consider maybe hiring an expert to take a look at things and see if they can't fix it for you. Nice. That, that makes a ton of sense. And I think 
I keep going back to kind of the simplicity of what you're talking about, where I think so many brands can get lost in the weeds. But going back to those core KPIs, conversion rate, average order value, sessions, really simplifies everything. And yeah, there's a lot of things you can do off of that, but it's understanding Mm -hmm. that baseline first. Um, Let's talk about more traffic. And then I want to get into a little bit of like developing a strategy. So when you're saying conversion rate, average order value, that makes sense. Conversion rate goes up, average order value goes up, you make more money. The huge issue is getting more eyeballs, getting more people onto your site. You know, you said, we're great. You can double your organic, tra- you can du- double your traffic by investing in paid media, but yeah, that costs money. So two questions. One, when you're talking about sessions, are you talking about, or what do you think is more important? Like unique sessions, new people, or just total sessions, which would include people returning to your site. Because a lot of brands really focus on that return buyer, but that doesn't totally work for every brand who might be selling something that has a very high AOV and people aren't buying you know, tons and tons of that product. So when you're talking about sessions, do you look at unique? Do you look at total? Do you look at both? What matters more? Uh, we look at total sessions from just like the snapshot of that of that uh, equation that I put together. And you're right. I made it simple on purpose because this is a concept we're introducing to our brands that we're working with that are, you know, they built the best light bulb. They don't give a crap about like what a conversion rate is. <laughs> like, so it, you got to make it simple. You got to make it understandable and be like, from this information, we know these are where we think like, well, this is what we want to work on. Here's why. And this is like, you know, the assumptions that we all have together. So it's an easy way to educate people. Um, to your question though, how do we tackle, you know, the sessions element of this? So there's basically you you were kind of correct in saying like there's the, the retargeting element of it, the retention marketing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so there's that angle. And then there's like also there's, you know, prospecting or winning new business or, or getting new customers. Like there's that angle of it. Um, brands that only focus on trying to resell to their existing customers and they're not growing, they're never going to actually... They might grow a little bit like doing, doing that smartly, but they're going to run out of steam because you're not... Like your customers aren't going to keep buying forever. And if you're not growing your customer base, you're not growing your business actually. And that's like a recipe for disaster. So the way that it splits on a paid media perspective is you're definitely going to want to invest more than 50% of your budget. uh, I would say even 60 in top of the funnel prospecting, trying to get new eyes on your business. And then the rest of it, like in the middle and the bottom, like in hitting, you know, with the the hot traffic there. So that's just like the paid media side of things. So that that's that's one element of the the sessions thing. Then the other element is kind of that that retention marketing element where you actually have their contact information, either they bought before or they've given you their email or their phone number, and you bought a really solid strategy of you know reaching out on a certain cadence for just giving them valuable content or reaching out within certain kind of checkpoints within their unique customer journey, uh, again, with valuable content. Um, so an example of those unique cus- touch points would be like, you know, maybe an anniversary of the sale, or you sell a product that you know has now been worn out by a certain threat. Like, like after 9 months, whatever product you bought is probably out and maybe you need a refill. Like You can build all those kind of automations out on that side of stuff. But yeah, the whole... Basically, the sessions kind of comes down to the, the marketing element of things. Like You got to be getting more eyes back to the website. And just kind of like an anecdotal thing is uh, your email marketing and kind of just the retention marketing arm of your business. So that's email, SMS, what have you. That should be responsible for at least 30% of your revenue. And if it isn't, your strategy is not working and you maybe you need to re- retool it. I just said a lot of stuff really fast. Do you have any any questions on that? No, that's uh, that's fantastic. So... The 30% number, is that just from your experience that what you've seen work better? Is that kind of an efficiency percentage where it's like, if it's coming, if 30% is coming through this, that provides the opportunity to spend more and bring more eyeballs in. Is that kind of where that's coming from? Oh man, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't remember where I got that number from. I want to say I got it from Clavio themselves uh, or I saw it on Twitter, which obviously don't believe everything you read on the internet. But I can say from our clients... Our clients that are rocking and rolling are well above 30% of their revenue is coming from their own channels, i.e. their SMS and email channels. Right. Well, and and just logically, that makes sense, right? Because that's... Yeah, it's easier to sell to somebody that's already familiar with you. Totally. And then the more you can sell, the bigger that percentage is, the more budget frees up for that new traffic, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. And and then this is where it gets like 
it gets confusing. Like you kind of mentioned this earlier. It's like, it also really truly depends on your product. If you're selling $1,500 couches, I'm probably buying one and then I'm not buying another one. Uh, Mm -hmm. But if you're selling like $10 ice cream sandwiches and I'm addicted and you got me on subscription, like I'm a giant repeat customer, like they're, they're different customer profiles. So that's where the strategy gets a little bit different dependent on like, what is the product? What are the customers? Yeah. And, and I think to kind of round out, how do brands go about creating a strategy that's customized to their specific use case? It, we, we've already touched in a lot of different ways. It's understanding those core KPIs and then those numbers, that data, that's going to tell you where you need to pull the lever. It's con- is your conversion rate low? Is your AOV low? Are you not getting enough sessions? Those are just three areas that brands can look at and be very prescriptive with what they do next. Um, so following up on this, I had, I had one other, other question on brands that potentially get lost in the weeds of scaling and focus on product expansion versus new market, new eyeballs, new customers. How often do you feel like that's an issue where brands say, okay, it's time to scale. I, I need more products. So I need to up my inventory. I need to up my logistics. I need to, you know, instead of 10 shirts, we need to start having 50 shirts, right? There's a lot that goes into that versus the idea of scaling for new customers. How often do you feel like brands get kind of stuck at that crossroads? That's a great question. And honestly, I'm going to not to like uh, not answer the question, but there was a fantastic interview that I did uh, with um, Aviator uh, Jeans or Aviator Clothing. I forget. But he did this. He he expanded the product line without really consulting his customers and and understanding what it was. And I'll let him tell the story. Go listen to that episode. That's very fantastic from from the the mouth of a founder uh, making that decision without data to back it up. Interesting. Okay, little teaser. I love it. Give it. Give us the ten second. Did it go poorly? Did it work out? Was it just a learning experience? It did both. It's very oh. interesting. It didn't work originally. That's let's just say that. But I think it's uh, you know, kind of just brands that are scaling without a strategy in place, like just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, like that's not a way to run a real business, let alone lead a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you gotta like if when you're getting that million dollar mark, like you're you have a team and you have to have like you have to have a true vision and everyone has to be on the same page. Uh so just like changing strategy and not you know being just true to the choices that you're making and trying to see them through is going to be difficult for people to have trust in in the product that's that are on your side that are trying to see this thing grow. So what I really mean there is like it's not just your company like it's the jobs of everyone that's working with you is very very tied into what you're trying to do here. So if every week you're changing the strategy or changing up how you're trying to grow or how you're trying to get to the next level, you're probably losing confidence of like your core team members which when you lose them the business might might kind of go belly up. Let's be real. Um, so this is more of a philosophical thing. It's just like, Hey, like own the things that you're good at and hire out your weaknesses. And if this isn't, you know, if growth strategy, isn't your strong suit, find someone where it is. Completely agree with that. Completely agree. Too often we try to do everything ourselves. And at the end of the day, it's like we're good at some things and we're not good at other things. And that's okay. That's just... And this isn't even just an e-commerce thing. This is just a a business thing. People Mm -hmm. will build themselves a job all the time. And then they realize like, I'm not a manager. I don't know. Like This isn't my skill set. And it's okay to admit that. And again, it's just do what you're good at and then hire out your weaknesses. And I think that there needs to be a lot more kind of honesty in that regard. Like just because you started the business doesn't mean that you're a good CEO. That That's the honest truth. hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So let's, uh, let's kind of jump into kind of the final part of this. So scaling is happening, right? We have those core KPIs in place. Tracking's happening. They feel good about it. But testing is one of the key pieces of scaling. Right, Because if you're going to test like your conversion rate, or you're going to test bundling for your AOV, or you're going to test different marketing strategies, just saying, okay, we need more sessions, this is what we're going to do, and then leaving it, you know, is, a, is a huge issue. So for you, with all the brands that you, you've built and you've worked with, how can brands really go about scaling in an efficient way that involves a lot of testing? Yeah. So here's, here's some more truth bombs. If you're a million dollar a year all brand, right. your traffic probably doesn't support doing honest... A B testing, like you, yeah, that's not enough traffic. That's not enough orders to get a st- statistically significant result. 
Mm. Uh, so AB testing is all about a statist- statistically significant result. And there's a bunch of resources online about this, but you have to have like, when you do a test, it has to hit a certain threshold to be like, this is a true winner. Right. Mm. So a million dollar a year brand or anyone under this, um, a lot of what you're doing is best practices and kind of going with your gut and seeing what happens. And it's not, you're not going to have too much statistics behind it. But as you get go more up market and you do get closer to that kind of $10 million a year mark, uh, your sales volume is a lot faster. And then you can get the data that you need. So there's that whole caveat there. Or that's this the tests are going to take a lot longer than you think. Like, so I say about a million dollars a year, you can maybe do a test a month. Whereas, mm. you know, Instagram was doing a test every day because that's how much traffic that they have. Like even yeah. even down to like every hour they were doing split tests. I saw this insane, uh this insane talk that I want to say it was like the product designer at Instagram was like, yeah, we were doing like testing colors and, and stuff on Instagram and they could get a significant result in like less than an hour just because of the amount of users and how much data was going through their software. But like, you know, if you're doing conversion rate optimizations, you have to have a conversion, you have to have an order. So every order is what you're tracking. It's not necessarily your traffic. So you have to, like, there are certain thresholds that you have to hit before the data gives you the real truth. But you know, how, how are brands testing this stuff? I mean, the way we do it is Google Optimize. And we have just a laundry list of ideas that we want to validate or test. And then we get buy-in from everybody on the team. And then we put them out there. And then we wait You know, as long as it takes to kind of get that test. We take the result, we implement the winner, and we rinse and repeat. You know, A website's never done. <laughs> and you're never going to you're never going to be done working on it. Like imagine if you had a, a a retail brick and mortar store and as you grew, you didn't invest back in painting the walls or retiling the floor cuz now your foot traffic has gone up 300% and your floors are ruined. Like you're going to be investing back in this store. Like that's how you have to treat your online business. It's your number one salesperson invest like it is. Fascinating. Well, and I think going back to to something you said earlier, kind of any decision is better than no decision. Like, oh, yeah. know, and don't get lost in the weeds. And I think that applies perfectly to what you're saying right now. I'm not getting lost in the testing, depending on where you're at. It, it's honestly just being authentic and aware of where you're at as a business. I know saying, a lot like, of, caught up. I know a lot of consultants, Sorry, all they do is AB testing and they are like, you're going to have nine losers before you find that one winner. And nobody talks about that. They just talk about the one winner that did this crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be so easy to get lost in the testing of it to say like, we can't make decisions until we know exactly what's going to be the right thing. And to your point, it's like sometimes you're not at a place to test that way. So for somebody who, for a brand that might not be at like the threshold of, hey, we have, I loved your point of, if you want to test conversion rate, you need to make a sale. That That's kind of a, that's, it sounds so simple, but it's kind of profound if you really think about it. It's like you can't test that unless you're really selling the product. So for brands who might not be in that place do really, really good test, good testing, is your advice like, hey, just keep running. And like, you'll know kind of when you're at that point of really testing. Because again, it's like they're, the use case is completely different from a home goods store to an apparel. So benchmarking is hard. But is, is the advice at that point to say, okay, you just need to get moving, get going, and make sure you're very aware of conversion rate, AOV sessions. And is it kind of a gut feeling or are there benchmarks to say, okay, you need to be able to hit this. You need to be able to test this often. What, what's kind of the recommendation there? So the way that I view e-commerce is... And these numbers aren't hard and fast, but this is just kind of like you know some generic stuff. Zero to one million, right? You're that's your startup, and mm. at that point, I think that you should be one hundred percent focused on product and offer and amazing customer support. And you can get away with the off an off the shelf theme. You can get away with a, a little bit of a lackluster experience. Do you really need to f- make sure that you whatever marketing engine you're starting to build out is actually working profitably? And and that's th- your main goal is like I got to get sales. I got to get this thing going. I got to get the flywheel started. So I then can have A, data and B, a budget to play with as I move into the next phase, Mm -hmm. which I would say is like the one to $10 million phase, which is like kind of when you're scaling, you're going to need a budget to hire smart people. You're going to need a budget to invest in paid media. Uh, You're going to need to have data so you can make the right decisions. 
Uh, so all that stuff you can't really do at that beginning element, uh, uh, you know, back in, back in the startup phase. So when you do kind of move into, you're like, all right, like we've got all this rocking and rolling, maybe it's 750 K, maybe it's half a million, who knows? Like, but you're like, we've got all that stuff in place. That's fine. Like we're ready to invest in the brand. I think you should definitely hire, um, a team that knows what they're doing to build you the fastest website you can get built with the best customer experience, which we kind of glossed over this entire time. Yeah. Like, you know, the website needs to make sense. It needs to get me as a customer to the product that I want as fast as possible, get it in my cart with an offer and a deal that resonates with me. Right. That's years of strategy in a nutshell, but you need a well designed customer journey as well as a well-designed website. Like there are two different things that you're trying to solve for there. Um, but yeah, investing in a partner to help you build a just whip fast website that helps me as a customer make a decision, answers my questions uh, before I even have them on the product page and gets that thing in the cart. And then you get you take my money. Like it's probably worthwhile investing in that as you kind of transition into that scaling phase. Make sure that your offers are on point and you like do try to figure out how to raise your average order value with cross sales, upsells, and bundles. Um, before just burning your budget on paid media, which is like just the what a lot of people do. They're like, all right, we're we're making some good money. We're gonna double down, triple down on Facebook ads. And it's like, well, that's a well and good, but like you guys could return at a 3x rate what you're doing now if you'd fix these easy low-hanging fruit, for example. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but based on exactly what you're just saying, for your kind of framework and your core KPIs, conversion rate, AOV sessions, is that kind of a one, two, three? Like you look at conversion rate, if that's okay, then you move to AOV. If that's great, then you move to sessions or is it just completely dependent on the business? Uh, That's a great question. It's actually more of a one and two than three is how we want to do it. But we live in reality. You know, We've got some clients that we take on and it's like, we have to do three regardless. And then we're doing one and two, like they understand it, but they still need to run their paid ads to keep their business going. You know what I mean? Because they've already got that flywheel started. A perfect example would be, uh, we oftentimes land brand like we did this year, uh, land a brand right before, uh, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And we're like, we're not putting out a new website. Like we're too close. We're down to the wire. This is not happening. They're like, that's fine, but we still need to run. We need still need to do the holiday stuff. And we're like, yeah, we're going to do that for you now. But like, we know that we need to fix these things and like they'll get fixed, but you know, you kind of just have to make choices because there are things going on in the real world that affect like when stuff can get done within the business. Yeah. That, that, that's a great point, man. And honestly, I feel like we could just keep going for days on this stuff. I think it's such an interesting topic and there's so many little offshoots of how a brand can optimize their store can scale, you know, what, tactics work, what don't, where to focus time, energy, but you know, we're, we're kind of coming up on time here. And I think this, this has been super fantastic. One last question I want to ask you, you know, somebody who's been in the space for so long has worked with so many brands has seen so much success in the scaling world. Um, where do you see commerce going over the next five years and what excites you the most or what opportunities excite you the most that you see kind of coming down the, down the road over the next five, 10 years in the world of e-commerce? Yeah. Um, I just think that I would say e-commerce is a toddler. It's not in its infancy anymore. I think that it grew up with COVID. So there's a bunch of stuff that will back this up. Go Google it. Um, but basically like the market penetration of e-commerce versus the global spend, like for like where people are spending their money in retail, retail in general was... These numbers are going to be wrong, but it was like 30%. And it was like a pretty you know steady slope. Um, and then e-commerce... like I mean, then COVID hit and it jumped to 40% like overnight and never went down. Uh, so we like grew up real fast. So there's a lot more older businesses that are now doing e-commerce. There's a lot more young brands that got built during uh, the pandemic that are scrappy. Um, so what I'm excited for is just like to see where this goes, like all this new stuff's going to come online and it's going to really make the people that want to stand out, like invest in having the best experience, having the best creative, having the best customer service, having the best product. So I'm excited to work with those types of brands. Um, just, you know, obviously we're so tied to Shopify. Like that's the only platform we work with. Shopify is releasing a lot of really cool stuff. Like uh, they just released online store 2.0, which was what something that 
you know, everyone was looking forward to that's like kind of a developer, but kind of from a uh, customer perspective, like if you're a customer of Shopify, a merchant that uses that solution, basically gives you more freedom to kind of drag and drop, move stuff around within your theme. Um, So that was really cool. They're releasing some other wild stuff um, to the platform, releasing a lot of updates to their APIs. So like, you know, building more custom solutions on Shopify is like getting more and more insane. You can do a lot more cool stuff. We're doing a lot of cool stuff with these new APIs. Uh, Really like within the next two or three weeks, they're releasing some updates to the storefront API uh, that will allow you to do some really wild stuff. So those are two things that I'm looking forward to. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is there a... This will be my last question, promise. Is there a, you know, in e-commerce, we get so lost in trends a lot of the time, like AR or VR or all sorts of stuff. Is there like a technology that you see coming down over the next like decade that will completely change the game for e-commerce? I think it's already here. And I don't think it's a technology. I think it's a concept of like owning your own like media type like basically like I, I, i'm gonna see a lot of brands that like win in the game are going to be like content producers as well as product manufacturers so like an example of this would be like hoonigan who's a buddy of mine kurt elster's client like they produce a lot of youtube comment like content and it crushes it and then they also sell merch and automobile parts like and it goes hand in hand so these companies are going to start like building, you know, you know, product businesses are going to start building the media side or media businesses are going to release product and it's going to be really cool to see. Yeah, well, that's a topic for another day that I oh, have, yeah. I have so many thoughts on and it will we'll dive into that another day, but again, man, this has been so fantastic. I think your insights incredible. Your guys' experience is is ridiculous. So here, I'll, I'll give you a minute. Remind the people where they can find you and, you know, quick, you know, shameless plug time for you for Electric Eye. Tell the people a little bit about you and where they can find you. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so if anything I said kind of resonates with you and you're like, yeah, I think we should talk to someone that knows what, we're do- what they're doing. We know what we're doing. And you can reach out to us at electriceye.io. Uh, you can click, hit connect, schedule an intro call. Uh, and we'll lay down, we'll tell you the absolute truth. Honesty is one of our core policies. Like we're not going to pull the wool over your eyes. You're going to know what's going on. Uh, if you enjoy my opinions on e-commerce, you can check out our podcast, Honest E-commerce. That's honestecommerce.co. Um, and we release a new episode every week. Amazing. Amazing. Well, it's, it's been an absolute, uh, absolute pleasure, man. So we're done. We did it. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was great.